Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Oh, you guys are already seated already. Okay, you didn't have to wait for me to give you that direction. But hey, welcome, welcome. We had a great, great group this morning in the first service. Looks like this is a good group as well. And I'm excited you've joined us for worship today. If you have a copy of God's Word, whether it be electronically or a hard copy, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. We have an incredible uh, story from the Word of God um, that speaks about um, how we can leverage influence for the sake of the gospel. We are in the middle of a series. Pastor Tony will be back next Sunday, and, and he will kind of close out the series on influence. I was telling uh, Pastor Tony, and this is not known for you, but this is kind of like a heads up. There has been a string in our, in our um, sermon series uh, for the past several months and in the months to come that's all contained in us leveraging our influences for the sake of the gospel and we're going to see more of that as we continue to look at the life of Christ and the encounters that Christ had with people, because I believe that the same encounters that Jesus had with people are the same encounters we will have with people. But it all comes down to how we leverage influence through our relationships. And so last week, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, and we were, we, were, we were shown through God's word that he gives us permission. We have God's permission to go anywhere and everywhere for the sake of the gospel. That there is this expectation that God has on our lives that we as the followers of Jesus Christ bring about social influence. And we bring about social influence by, by giving our lives away to causes, to concerns, to passions um, that, uh, that inflame our heart into action, Right? And so we learned from the scriptures last week that, that wherever you um, find yourself engaging in culture in, um, we have an ability to use that platform for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul was saying to us last week in, in verse 14 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians? He says that wherever we may go, wherever, whatever position we may take in life, um, whatever, whatever passions we follow, leave behind an aroma, a fragrance of Christ, right? And just so you might, might just be kind of relaxed a little bit, this morning I'm wearing a Vera Wang for men, just to let you know from last week's illustration. Like I said, people don't believe me. I actually have a plan of action for my cologne wearing. But again, going back to that, that phrase, the fragrance of Christ, right? And we do that through those platforms that God given us because behind those platforms, behind those causes, behind those concerns, behind those passions that we want to devote time and energy and effort to, there's always going to be people that join you in the process. And honestly, there is that concern about bringing change and, and influencing change on a social level, but more importantly, it's the people that God gives us um, as we're going about making social change. This morning, I kind of want to go into a, um, to a more personal level and speak about how we might become gospel influencers. There is not only an expectation upon us to leave in a, a fragrance and aroma of Christ wherever we go, 
But there's also a command, the greatest command that we've been given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, is that we be men and women who are followers of Jesus, that we go about our lives making more followers of Jesus. And the only way that that happens is by leveraging your relational influence. Hardly anyone comes to Christ in a, in a vacuum without relationships, right? For the most part, everyone comes to faith in Christ because they are connected with a follower of Jesus at some point and in some way that they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that is the expectation that is upon us this morning. What does it mean to be a gospel influence? I have a definition that I would love to share with you. I think it's a, it's a good definition. I think it's a practical definition of what it means to live your life as a gospel influencer. It's simply any person who has um, a relational leverage to love people as they are while making the grace of Jesus attractive to them. So basically, it's using your relationships with people who may be very far away from God. And you simply walk into their life. You simply connect your life with them um, through this means of just simply loving them wherever they may be at. They may be, uh, uh, they may be in, a, in a hot mess. You just love them in their hot mess, messiness. They may be far from God. You love them in their, in their farthness from God. Um, you're called to love them no matter, no matter where they're at in life. No matter if they're skeptical of the gospel, maybe they're haters of God, but still we can love them as they are. Now, we as followers of Christ are not called to fix people. We're not called to, to condemn them. We're not called to uh, um, create division between them and God. We're not called to agitate. We're not called to smear. We're not called to demean people who are far from God. We're not called to, uh, um, to shout at people to speak ugly words to people who hold different worldviews than ours, whether that be social worldview or political worldview or spiritual worldviews. We are simply called by Christ to love people where they're at because I believe that when we become men and women who are more concerned with the heart of that individual than how they are living, then we will be given opportunity after opportunity to show people that there is a purpose for their lives and that purpose is found and that hope is found only in Jesus Christ. But you can't get to that level. You can't get to that connectivity unless I believe in, especially in this day and age and the culture that we live in that is so divisive, as long as you are willing to step into that arena, whatever arena God's given you, and be a person of unconditional love. I'm so glad that Mr. and Mrs. Posey back in 1979 um, were gospel influencers. Now, I don't believe that gospel influencers was a term that was known to them. They simply were a couple, an older couple that loved Jesus and loved children. And I believe that they combined those two passions and God gave them a tremendous platform to reach many children for the sake of the gospel. I remember the day even though it's almost, what, been 40 years ago or more in my life 
that Mr. Po- Mr. and Mrs. Posey came into my life and became gospel influencers. It was a Saturday morning. I was outside in my front yard playing, and all of a sudden, here comes this white bus. I, mean, I don't churches have those anymore, but this white bus, this church bus came down the street with blue lettering on the side. And out popped this older couple, probably in their, in their late 50s, right? Um, and I'll never remember. Out comes Mr. Posey first, and he had a cigar, unlit cigar dangling from his mouth, right? And, uh, and behind him was this little petite woman. And uh, in, in his, Mr. Posey's hand, he had this little sack of candy, and uh, it was a brown bag filled with candy. And, uh, and his, his, his first thing out of his mouth to me was, hey, would you like some candy? Now, back in 1979, when we didn't care about the welfare of kids, uh, strangers can approach kids with a bag of candy, and it was, it was so acceptable, so fine. And it was just as acceptable for a, a 9 or 10-year-old kid to say, absolutely, I want some candy. What you got going on in that, in that brown bag? Well, Mr. Posey was the icebreaker. But they were, to great, they, were, they were great as a couple. But Mrs. Posey, uh, she, she landed the plane. She signed the contract. She got the commitment out of me, right? And so she basically was the one, um, in a very sweet way, who invited me uh, to join them on the white bus to go to, to, go to church um, every Sunday with them. Now, at that stage of my life, um, uh, I had no idea what church was, never st- stepped foot inside of a church, um, didn't know who God was and Jesus was outside of curse words. And boy, I'm telling you, at nine years of age, I had a really potty mouth. I, I'm sad to say, but that's the way it was. But I have a picture of myself at nine years old, just to give you a little clue of, of uh, what, they're, what they're dealing with. Hello, hello. Come on, come on. That was Dave Myers at nine. Hey, I, well, the first service didn't applaud for me. What's going on here? But anyways, even back as a kid, I was rocking sweaters, right? And so um, I had no idea that sweaters would be a part of my life. But I wanted to show you this picture because this is my, this is my uh, nine-year-old school picture. But, you know, we all get dressed up for school. But that, but that picture you're seeing right there on the screen honestly was not who Mr. and Mrs. Posey encountered that morning. You can go ahead and take it down. Unless you want to be left up for the rest of the service. Anyone? Okay, no. Go ahead and take it down. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Posey didn't find a clean-cut kid smiling. They found a kid that was living in a scrapping neighborhood on the west side of Memphis um, in a family that was barely holding itself together. Tremendous turmoil in the family. Um, you know, uh, messy, messy home life. Um, there are times that I, I would go to church with Mr. and Mrs. Posey, and I was filthy. Hadn't had a bath for maybe a week or so. My clothes mismatched. Um, I had no social graces really about me at that time. But this is, this is what Mr. and Mrs. Posey did every single Sunday morning without fail for two to three years of my life. Um, they showed up in that white bus with blue letterings, and they picked me up, and they took me to church. And every Saturday for those two and three years, um, they always came by on a Saturday morning to check up on me. And they always made sure that I had a way to every children's activity that took place at church over that time period. Now, now, like I said, Mr. and Mrs. Posey had a full bus of kids. Probably 40 or more kids joined me on that bus every single Sunday. But for whatever reason, um, God gave Mr. and Mrs. Posey a heart for me. And they loved on me. And, and they showered me with unconditional 
love. And what, would, what began to take place over those two to three years is that as Mr. and Mrs. Posey was showering me with love and they were taking me to a place where I was hearing the gospel, over and over again, I began to connect the two together. And, and I gave my life about two and a half years later, I gave my life to Jesus with, with sweet Mrs. Posey standing beside me as, as one of the children's workers was leading me to faith in Christ. Now, they had no idea back then what would ever become of me because, because we eventually moved away and I never had contact with them ever again. Now, they may still be alive. More than likely, they've passed away. But they were never given a chance to see what God was up to in my life past those two to three years. They had no idea that that little boy that they loved on and, and eventually came to Christ would need Christ tremendously in the years ahead because whatever I was facing as a 9 to, to 11-year-old boy, I mean, it, life got worse for me. And I needed Jesus to be my everything, and he was my everything, and he still is my everything. But all they saw was this, this scrawny little kid. And I'm sure they, they, knew what, that they knew what was going on. They probably were able to connect the dots. But they didn't care what I was like or how I smelled. They just simply stepped into that moment at the right time in the right place and just were gospel influencers to me. You see, Mr. and Mrs. Posey was not peddling a product to me. They were just showing me the love of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus, and then they allowed God to do the rest. And as we see in the story today from from Acts chapter 8, there was just a man named Philip. And if I can just just water it down to one sentence, a man named Philip who who made himself available to God and then just watched God at work in bringing someone to faith in Christ. But the story is is an amazing story because unknown to Philip, Philip had no idea what God would do through this Ethiopian man that he met on this road. Had no clue. But just in that moment, he was uh, available to God. And this is what, what, uh, verse 26, how the story begins. It says, later, God's angel spoke to Philip. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm reading out of the message translation because the message translation just kind of makes the story kind of, it just gives us a little bit more pizzazz than other versions. At noon today, I want you to walk over to the, that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. I love that instruction, right? Hey, just, just take that, the highway, you know, that highway that no one really uses. Just, just take that highway. So he got up and went. And he met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. And the eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was um, a minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Can we just agree that in order for to influence someone to become a follower of Christ, you just have to make yourself available? Like I said, that's all that Philip did. Philip had no idea that God later would use this man to, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to all Ethiopia, that, that this was the very uh, center, the very originator of the gospel in another nation. All he knew was that God asked him through an angel to go 
down a certain road and he went. We just have to become available. If we want to be gospel influencers, we have to maneuver our lives in which God might use us in a season in which he is already at work in the heart of a person. God may be bringing you to a place where you are being connected with someone who is broken, connected with someone who's going through a season of emptiness, maybe connecting with someone that is going through a season of sorrow through a loss of someone they've loved, maybe a, just a season or a situation in which they have never been before and they are confused and, and they're overwhelmed and, and they're brokenhearted over it. Maybe God's just going to simply put you in the path of someone who is just inquisitive. I mean, they, they know God and they want to know more about God and they're inquisitive mind. They're just searching for, for life answers and for truth. But no matter what, in order for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you and I have got to make our lives available. And while, and while, and while Philip is making his way down that road um, to meet the Ethiopian, um, God was already at work in this man's life. Philip didn't know that. Philip didn't know that. All Philip knew was that he was doing what God had called him to do. But when he got there, he could, he could understand what was going on, and he knew that God was calling him to speak the gospel to this man. Now, gospel influencers, when it comes to availability, gospel influencers are always asking the Lord, Lord, who can I invite into my life to influence them for Jesus? That's what a gospel influencer does. Simply say, God, who, who's next? Who can I align my, my life with? Who, who do you have in my sphere of influence that is far from you, that perhaps by, by just being an agent of your love might showcase the wonderment and the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ? It, it's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, if, 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 if we could see ourselves in that light, God can do the rest. Remember, Philip, who is Philip? We don't know much about Philip. Philip was just an ordinary man. He was, a, he was a deacon of the church, knew God, loved God. But was he in the same league as, as the Ethiopian, um, the director, the minister of finance for a great nation? Absolutely not. But that was no concern to Philip. All he, would, all he did was say, Lord, I am willing to go and do as you call me to do. Would you be willing to pray such audacious prayers that you ask the Lord to invite people that are far from him to come across the path and the trajectory of your life so that you might be a gospel influencer. I'm telling you, I'm being serious with you, that if you could pray those, those prayers, audacious prayers, you will always be given an opportunity to see God at work in and through you. Trust me in that. Because God is after people's hearts. And if God is after people's hearts, and if God is chasing people who are very, very far from him, if God loves people who are very, very far from him, maybe God loves, God loves those who hate him. Listen, all he's waiting for is for us to say, God, use me. Use me. Take me where you want to take me. I'm available for you to use me in that way. Well, the story goes on in verse 29 of 8. And so I, this, this, I love this part, too. This is fascinating to me. So he goes down the highway. It, he's just on the road by himself. And all of a sudden, he sees, he sees this guy going down the road in front of him in a chariot. And the spirit told Philip, 
climb into the chariot. This is kind of like a carjacking back in the New Testament day. Just, just climb in the chariot, Philip, okay? Now, that is just an odd thing. And so, running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading aloud, right, Isaiah, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he answered, how can I without some help? And, and invited Philip into the chariot with him. And the passage he was reading was this. As a sheep led to slaughter and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who now can count his kin since he'd been taken from the earth? And the eunuch said, tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or some other? And Philip grabbed his chance, using this passage as his text. He preached Jesus to him. Now, we use our, our, our influence, our relational influence, to bring people to Jesus Christ. But the next step, and probably the most important aspect, is when do we, when do we share the gospel with somebody? We, don't, we just don't want to meet them in one moment, and the next moment we're just pounding them over the head with gospel truth. But when do we know when it's the right time to use our influence to share the good news of Jesus with someone? And, and here's my response to you. Um, you just simply have got to be aware. Just be aware of, of what is going on in that person's heart. Be aware of what's going on in their, in their lives and their situations. Awareness is the key. Now, for Philip, he had, a, he had a few seconds to take in the scene as he's running alongside of, that, alongside of that chariot. But for you and I, we're given plenty of time to invest in people's lives that and to ask good questions, and to, to show concern, and to take conversations uh, deeper than surface casual conversations. And so as you're doing that, and as you are pivoting your life, and, and as you are praying for individuals that God brings into your life that are far from him, you are going to become more aware of what God is up to. It is obvious that this man um, was a seeker of truth. Uh, the, the, the passage tells us that he had made his way on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, why would he make his way to, to Jerusalem for a pilgrimage? Because he, w- he knew about this God, and he wanted to know more about this God that he had heard about in Ethiopia. And when he gets to, when he gets to Jerusalem, he has, the, he has the resources to purchase a scroll um, containing Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy of Jesus. And as he's reading um, this prophecy on Jesus out of Isaiah 53, it is stirring up some thoughts in his mind. I mean, it is, it is challenging to him. And he's more inquisitive the more that he reads. Over and over again, Isaiah 53, his heart becomes inflamed with the desire to know the truth behind um, this prophecy. So unbeknownst to Philip, this man is riding down in a chariot, reading a scripture. His heart is open to God. God is moving, right? And then in, inserts Philip into the picture. So God is able to connect a follower, of his, a follower of Jesus to a man who, who is wanting to be a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, just the awareness of Philip to take it in and say, I can help you um, with what you're searching for. Now, many of you know that I, I work at Victory Mission. And uh, this past year has been a very fascinating um, journey in ministry um, for us. I, I lead the, a team of eight chaplains um, to do ministry and outreach um, at, the, at the mission. And we made a decision several years ago, two years ago, in fact, um, to, 
to revolve our ministry around three things. Um, to know a person's name, to know their story, because everyone has a story, and to let them know that they have a purpose, that God has a purpose in their life connected with Jesus Christ. So we, we build relationships by just first and foremost just knowing their name, who they are, what their background, what their story is, but also speaking truth to them along the way that God has a great purpose for their life. This past year, phenomenal ministry. We've seen more people being radically converted to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they, they said a simple prayer. No, I'm talking about radical conversion, radical life change to Jesus. And it's the most I've ever seen in my 30-plus years of doing ministry. I've never seen so many people come to faith in Christ. And we're not bashing people over the heads with, with the Bible. We're not saying if you want our services, you've got to believe first and repent of your sins. We're not, we're not shaming them in their brokenness. We're, we've just made this decision that, that we're just going to love on people and allow God to do the rest. And, and what we're discovering, this is kind of, this is alarming to me. And I hope it's just as alarming to you that we are finding more and more people that are coming into our ministry this past year that have never had a connection with a church, have never been invited to church, and have never, listen, have never encountered a Christian in their entire life. And we're talking about men and women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and upwards. And here we are in Springfield, Missouri, often referred to as the, as the buckle of the Bible Belt. There are literally hundreds of churches in the city almost on every corner. This morning, along with us, tens of thousands of people in Springfield and a population of about 160,000 would have gathered for worship. But in the midst of our community, I believe there is a large number of people who are not only far from God, but they don't even know a Christian that can point them to God. And we've got to maneuver our lives so that people who are curious about God might come to know him. Now, I'll say this. This is what I find another fascinating part about this. <clears throat> people are just coming to us and saying, how do I know Jesus? There's obviously something different about how you're treating me. I feel loved, this unconditional love. It's the unconditional love we're showing them that is bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. So it can be just that simple. I mean, that's simple about being aware of what God is doing around you, being aware that, that, they're, they're, that an act of kindness, that a word of encouragement, that a, a, a quiet but sincere conversation can lead to permanent life change in someone that God's brought across your path. Never underestimate um, what you can do through unconditional love that will change the trajectory of someone's life. We just simply have got to be aware that God has already preceded your connection and relationship. He's already preceded you, and he's already at work in someone's heart. And that doesn't mean that that, that person is receptive to God, but I truly believe that just as much as God is at work in your and our lives as his followers, he's also at work in the lives of those who are far from him because we know this one thing, that Jesus says, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. That is the heart of God our Father as well. So he's always at work. So be, be aware of what God is doing around you. Be aware of what God is doing in that person's life 
and then just step in. And this is what, what Philip says. I love what, the, what, the, what the, the message says. It says, it says, Philip grabbed his chance and he preached Jesus to him. Now, if you were to say, now, now David, is there, is, there one, is there one way that God works? Is there one way, is there one avenue in which God does, you know, uses evangelism, personal evangelism to, um, to lead people to him? The answer is no. If you look at the New Testament, I mean, God is at work at all times in every situation, right? We see, we see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ in crowds of thousands. We see people coming to faith in Jesus one-on-one. We see people coming to faith in Jesus uh, as they're drawing water from a well. We see people coming to faith in Jesus as they're sitting behind, sitting beside a pool of Bethesda in order to be healed. We see people coming to faith in, in Jesus at funerals. We see people coming to faith um, at, at, in Jesus in, 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 the, in jails. We see people coming to faith in Jesus um, in courts. We see people coming to faith in Jesus um, as women are washing their clothes <laughs> beside a river. We see through Paul's example, through Paul's life, he's preaching the gospel in Caesar's household, and, and servants are coming to faith in Christ every, every single day, it seems like, in his life. He's seen people come to faith in Christ as he's chained between soldiers in the dungeon. So there is no magical formula for, um, for how God is at work, right? You just simply have to be available and be aware, and then you have to be willing to present and be ready to present the gospel. You see, very rarely will someone come to faith in Christ without words. We often hear this, 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 um, this saying, you know, um, um, preach Christ, and at times if you have to use words. Well, that's not true. There, there's, there's only the one way people to truly understand who Christ is and what he's done from it's going to take a personal testimony, a personal witness from you and I. But we just have to have the courage to seize that moment and step in that moment and say, I've leveraged enough personal relationship. I've leveraged enough personal trust. I've leveraged enough personal love in order to step in and show you how you might come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that if you spend the time to, to showcase that love, then people will be receptive because they know you love them. They know you care for them. They know that you have um, their best interests at heart. And um, I was talking to a couple after the first service, and they were telling me that um, in their situation, they're seeing the same medical doctor over and over again, almost on a monthly basis. And over the past several years, they built up a relationship with this doctor that they oftentimes tell this doctor who God is and, and what God is up to in their situation, and this doctor is beginning to ask them questions. Again, God is up to something in that doctor's life, and they're just stepping into that moment. Well, this is what Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, and I'll close with that. As the rain is about to uh, over, overtake me, right? This is what Romans 10, 13 through 15 says. Everyone who calls, help God. Help God gets help. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's where you and I come in. For the sake of the gospel, we have to have courage to fully explain the saving grace of Jesus. So the invitation to you this morning is this. Will you be the one 
We've been talking about that for several weeks leading up to GIC. We've been actually talking about this for about a year now um, in regards to standing in the gap. That's our future uh, principles. That's our, our future vision and mission at Northbridge, that we'd be willing to stand in the gap for our, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our, our community. And when we become that type of people, can you imagine what God will do in our midst? And I said this last week, and I'll say this in closing, that last week I talked about how, what would happen if the 200, 250 people um, that came to Northbridge and connected with Northbridge, if we would just open our lives and leverage our relationships with one or two individuals. Think about that. In the next year or two, 500 people, 500 people or more can, can really come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we leverage our life and we expand it even further, that because some of us are more extroverted than, than others, that maybe if you, if you led 10 people to faith in Christ over the next five years, just the exponential growth for the sake of the gospel that could take place. And I believe that the health of Northbridge um, gets deeper and better when we constantly see God bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is happening all around us. But will you be the one? Will you pray audacious prayers? Would you be ready to go? Would you be available for God to use? And would you be aware of what God is doing and the relationships that he has allowed you to be a part of right now and the relationships that he's going to give you um, for those who just need to be loved as they are so that the grace of Jesus might be magnified? Would that be your prayer this morning? Would that, that, that's the invitation this morning. Would you simply say, God, I will be the one. Pray with me. So, Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, first and foremost, for the rain that we hear on the roof. We are in great need of that. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness with the rain. But, Lord, just as much as we are grateful for the rain, we're also grateful for what you do uh, in the lives of people, both that are far from, from you, in order for them to know that they have a great purpose in life and that is found in, in Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that in this moment of invitation, that God, that you are stirring in our hearts to overcome fears um, and being a gospel witness with those that we know that are far from, from, from you. But Lord, I pray that you give us that courage, but also God, give us an ability um, to use every aspect of relationships to bring people to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you that, God, that you have first loved us, that while we were yet in our own sins, you died for us. And just as you loved us in our own sins, you love also those who this morning woke up without hope, woke up in their own despair, woke up um, broken and longing for something to fill their lives. May we be the one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.